welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. I am, I am literally honored to stand in front of the faithful, the committed, that have chosen to celebrate Jesus' birthday with Jesus and the family of God in the house of God. So uh, I, I, I actually want to say give yourselves an applaud for... This is something you hear in today's society is keep the main thing the main thing. And I'm looking at a room full of folks that made the main thing the main thing today. Food is not the main thing. Christmas tree is not the main thing. Tearing paper off of boxes ain't the main thing. Ask the kids, because they're just going to play with the boxes anyway. <laughs> main thing is Jesus. Amen. And you're doing the main thing. And I'm honored to stand in this group. There are preachers today that didn't choose to do the main thing. I, I'm going to I'm gonna have to move on. I've got to keep this Christmas oriented, so I don't want to already nuke it at the beginning. I'm going to start with a... A quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he is literally one of my own personal heroes. I've, I've read a ton about Mr. Bonhoeffer, Pastor Bonhoeffer, who, if you don't know who he is, he was basically, I won't say the lone voice, but he was the premier voice during World War II, just prior to World War II in Nazi Germany, trying to stop the church from being state-run and going all in with their version of wokeness, which was called Nazism. And he was one of the few. There was a tiny remnant of churches and ministers and Christians that rejected Nazism and actually held on to the tenets of the gospel. And he and Dietrich Bonhoeffer lost his life over proclaiming the authenticity, the sincerity of the gospel in the face of cultural and social degradation. He was a martyr for the cause. What's shocking to me is here we are, 80 years later, 70 years later, and it's literally playing out exactly the same way. And the church, the church, God bless her, in America and in many other places, it's our, the church has basically already died like in Europe, but in America, the one lone place that the church still had breath in her lungs, the church in America in the last two and a half years, if you haven't noticed, was dying a slow death. And I'm the guy that, that wrote the book on, liber I can say, woke wrote past tense because it's right now in, they're actually finishing up uh, content design and all that kind of stuff. It'll be out hopefully in a couple of weeks. 
Um, but I wrote the book on liberating the bride. I believe in the church. I believe in the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she's not going to die. She's not going to go anywhere. But I'm wondering how far she's going to fall before us, we, the people, the actual people of God, say no more. Is it going to take for some of us to die? Maybe. Maybe we will let it get to that stage to where there will be a Dietrich Bonhoeffer by the name of Steve Castle that will just come in one day and they'll say, we're done with you. We're going woke. You're not. You're in the way. You need to go away. And if you think I'm kidding, so did everybody in 1939 in Germany. And they, one of, the, one of the things that impacted my heart the most is I seen this little mini video of a church in 1939 Germany. And they were all gathered together in their beautiful little building with their stained glass and their, and their awesome preacher. And they were singing hymns to the Lord, their commitment their faithfulness to him, their, their undying allegiance to the kingdom with all of their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. And it was interrupted by the screech of train wheels on train tracks just outside the church doors where the train that was carrying the thousands of Jews was loaded so they could stop the train, throw out some of the dead bodies of the people that didn't make the journey. And then you heard the steam roar up and the train took back off. And everybody in the church looked out the window and they seen what happened and the preacher just said, come on, let's just sing louder. Let's just sing louder. And I honestly think that a lot of Christianity has just been trying to sing louder ignoring all the things that are going on because eventually the chain will go away, the train will go away, somebody will get the bodies, we don't have to worry about it till they come for you. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a, a personal hero of mine. He is an inspiration to me. He stood when nobody else stood. He fought for what was right when nobody else would fight for it. He was an authentic martyr and then eventually he died and the quote that I start with is that Christianity preaches the infinite worth of that which is seemingly worthless and the infinite worthlessness of that which is seemingly so valued I'll remind you you did the main thing there are people that have, by their actions, by their hearts, have chosen other things today that are, in their estimation, of great worth, like football and pumpkin pie. The world we live in has no problem exalting pumpkin pie over Jesus Christ. But not you. 
In Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to do some of these verses in the net, the New English translation. I know I have a, a little bit of a personal relationship with one of the people that worked on the translation, and so I have a, I have a value for this translation, and I don't, I'm not going to get into translation conversations because no matter what translation I say I like or I don't like, somebody's going to be offended, so I'm just going to leave you in your offended state, and we're going to move on and read the Bible. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9. These are some famous verses about the coming Messiah. In verse 2, it starts, The people walking in darkness see a bright light. Light shines on those who live in a land of deep darkness. In, in the, I think it's in the King James, it says gross darkness, which is an interesting wordplay. And this is a proclamation of the coming Messiah. This is prior to Jesus' obvious birth. What, what we're all celebrating today, his arrival. And the people were walking in great darkness. Why were the people in great darkness? And I know that you're probably going to think, because you're in church and so you're thinking spiritual right now, you're going to think, well, because they didn't have Jesus. They didn't have Jesus physically, but you do know Jesus wasn't born when Jesus was born. Like, he's pre-existent. He just took on flesh. So they had access to Jesus, and yet still walking in darkness. Man, if you catch the parallel right here, you are doing something unique. They were walking in darkness, yet they still had access to the light. And they were walking in deep, gross, terrible darkness. Uh, I need to, to kind of like do a little bit of, of what Andrew would call, I need to terrify you before I edify you. I promise we're going to get to the edify. But I'm going to take a moment to terrify. We're not that far from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's state. We're in a season of unprecedented darkness for humanity. And I don't say that lightly. And I'm not a guy that, that goes down through uh, all of my study of history. If I, have, if I have a hobby, it is studying. I, I really don't have a hobby. I don't play golf I, very, I, once a year, twice a year, because <laughs> Scott and, and the guys will eventually invite me enough times and I'll, I'll be free one of the times they invite me or disc golf with Ryan. But, I mean, I don't have a thing. My thing is like, I want to learn, I want to know, I want to be better at what my father has made me to be. So I'm studying, I've, I've learned more about history and law outside of formal education than I did anywhere near all added together times 10 informal education. I'm always looking to try to 
be the best that I can be so that I can shepherd and lead those folks, those precious people that God has given me access to. I cannot tell you, I don't have words. And I'm a, I'm a writer and I'm a professional speaker, but I don't have the words to tell you what it means to my heart to have the value to minister to you. They could offer me a, a TV show with a billion watchers. They could offer me money, fame, and, and jets, and, and wine, women, and song. and they, Whatever it is they could, they could offer me, it, I wouldn't trade that for one of you. Not one. Because this is a divine thing. And I'm doing eternal benefit in people's lives. The TV shows will go away. The Hollywood star of yesterday, we don't even remember their name. The people that are rich and wealthy and influential, in five years, they'll be broke as a joke, <coughs> forgotten, dustbin of history. But what we do in this room will be talked about a billion years from now. Amen. And I get to participate with that. And to think, I was, I was going to trade the restaurant business for my, for my divine destiny at one stage in my life. How ignorant was I? So when I say that we're in a stage of unprecedented darkness, I'm not using that word because it's kind of a cool word today. And I'm not using that word to try to make it more flamboyant than it really is. I'm telling you, in studying history post-Christ, post-ascension, that there's never been a time of humanity to be at a precipice like we are today. We are at a divine crossroad. I have hope that we'll make the right choice. And then I get a piece of news article, and I gotta rebuild my hope. Because we see the the mindlessness, the antichrist wickedness that has possessed people to the point where nothing, nothing in darkness and evil is not capable for some of the people that surround us in Midwestern Illinois right now. The exposed wicked assault on our children's bodies and souls through perverted sexuality. If you would have said five years ago that it would be the popular, cool, awesome, and good thing to do to have transvestite drag shows targeting children I would have, I wouldn't even have responded to you because your statement would have had so much monumental stupidity to it. I wouldn't even have responded. And that's what we have. Two-year-olds shoving dollar bills in the underwear of men pretending to be women. And 
don't you dare say there's anything wrong with it. We're in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's 1939 Germany. We're telling little boys that they need to be gender dysphoric and little girls that what they were born is wrong and convincing them to go under the scalpel to mutilate their once healthy bodies beyond ever getting back what God gave them. Those surgeries aren't like a tattoo where it just gets old and fades away one day. You do some of these things to these children, they're destroyed forever, barring a supernatural encounter from our divine God. Public schools have been portals of groomers doing their grooming. And the school boards that are supposed to be protecting the children are too busy worrying about how to get their hands on more and more free helicopter pandemic money that they'll let the groomers groom as long as the paychecks are paying. They were once the last line of defense for an abused child. The reason the government had to shut down the churches and the schools is because the last two lines of defense for a mandated reporter for an abused child are churches and schools. The number of children that were abused during the the compassionate shutdown of society to spare their lives went up by over 10 times. 10 times. And we did that. Everybody that stayed home, everybody that played their reindeer games, we have guilt. And the Lord will not hold us guiltless. We are part of this society. And we can say, well, I didn't do that. Did you sing louder when the train showed up? Inescapable peddling of fear, baptizing our national minds. From terror about killing grandma because we won't follow the science. Just so you know, there ain't a human being on earth that can follow their science. It, it doesn't even connect anymore. Unless you call it political science, there is no science. Following the science meant stay home from school, stay home from church, go to Walmart, go to the strip club, go to the bar. That's the science. But our children think that if they don't do all these things, they're going to kill grandma. Fear. How dare a society project that kind of fear on a child? The anti-vaxxers. This is a pandemic of the anti-vaxxers. Have you heard that one? That was the science. Wouldn't you know that changed too? 
because I didn't want to take your experimental poison. Oh, praise Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Have you subscribed to Rumble Channel yet? <laughs> Just came out. <laughs> praise the Lord. They're already prophesying the next scandemic. The monkeypox didn't stick because everybody figured out how that worked. So they're going to move on to the next one. They're already doing tabletop exercises for the next one. You know they're still doing gain-of-function research to figure out the next virus that they can accidentally release by a bat or whatever their next lie is going to be on the human population because their goal is to get us under a world population of 500 million. If you didn't know that, sorry. Our current world population is 8 billion. And the people in charge of your vaccines want the population to be 500 million. I know those are lots of zeros that people don't do, but that means that they need to kill off 7.5 billion people. And they're in charge of your health. No, Pastor Steve, you just keep singing. Sing louder. Sing louder. This won't affect you at all until it does. And then, of course, if that doesn't get you, the whole world's going to end because of climate change. Did you, did, did you know that? You know, when I was in school, we were all going to be covered up with glaciers because you darn girls wouldn't put down your Aquanet with your hair. That's right. There's a bunch of you in here? Yeah, that's right. I went to high school with some of you. Yeah, huh? I seen your bangs. You single-handedly. The girls in this room alone created one of the glaciers that's coming to kill us all. And then when the glaciers didn't show up in 10 years because Al Gore prophesied that they were going to come and roll over top of us and we we're all going to be stuck in Florida, what a terrible thing that would be. When that didn't work, well, then they said, well, it's getting warmer. Well, which is it? Is it getting hotter or is it getting colder? Well, yeah, the climate's changing. And everybody believes them. Oh, you're right, the climate's changing. Newsflash. <laughs> the climate will change. This is why I hate conversations about weather. I hate them. If you walk up to me and you say, hey, pastor, how about the weather? I, I'll smile because I love you. But I'd rather talk about your belly button lint than talk about the weather. I don't care about the weather. It's going to change. It's going to be 50 degrees different. It's, the wind's going to go up or down 30 miles an hour. It's, the sun's going to come out or it ain't. It's going to change. Weather changes. The climate changes. It literally tells us in Genesis chapter 8, verse 6, as the earth remains, so remains seed time and harvest, so will there also be four seasons. It's going to change. The weather's going to change. It's been changing ever since. There was snow in the book of Job. There's going to be snow when Jesus comes. Amen. <laughs> to think that our cars, dear Jesus, I need to get off this. 
But you think that God didn't take into consideration that in 2022, we'd all have a car. And he's like, ah, should have had a V8. If I, I would have made the planet capable of handling combustion engines that I gave them the wisdom to produce. I just wished I would have thought about it. God can plan out your whole life. There's a book written in heaven with every one of your seconds. But he forgot about combustion engines. And there are literal people, there might even be people in this building because it's so pervasive that you actually think that I'm being a jerk because really, no, the planet's going to end in 10 years. Just so you know, I've been around a long time. I'm pushing 50, and the planet's supposed to, be, have, supposed to have been ended in 10 years four times now. I can show you the videos. We're four times late of the planet ending. <laughs> it's, it's fear. They just want you in a constant state of fear. If you are in fear... You are easily controlled. Easily controlled. If you're in the dark, gross darkness, you'll take any hand that says, hey, I'll lead you. This is satanic at its core. It's dark in here. Here's my hand. Take it. I'll lead you where you need to go. Your hand feels scaly and slimy. No, no, no. No, you're just wrong. I'm actually here to help. I'm the government, and I'm here to help. <laughs> this all combines into innumerable amounts of oppression and depression. If you look around, statistically, one out of six people in this room are in depression. Not this room because we're the healthiest, wealthiest, and most influential church that God has called to the region. But if you were in an average gathering, one in six of those people is suffering from depression. One in six. We have never lived in a more prosperous time. You've never had access to more things like food, clean water, health care. And yet the enemy, just like Eve in the garden, convinced her that what she had was not good enough and had to come to him to get more. Depression. One in six. And then the Antichrist control through, and I won't camp here. Pray for me. The Antichrist control that is currently taking place through pharmakia. Pharmakia, that, that name probably rings a bell to some of you because you've been there this week. The pharmacy that is named after the Greek word pharmakia, which is in the Bible. Did you know that there was pharmacies in the Bible? I'll show you one of them. Revelation 9, 20 through 21. This is one of the places that the word pharmakia was used in your Bible. And this is Revelation. This is the apocalypse. This is the revealing of Jesus Christ. 
And there's also obviously end time connotations to the entire book. I'm not saying the book is an end time book, but there's end time connotation. And here in Revelation chapter 9, it breaks right into the middle of a, basically a judgment on Babylon, which America as a nation has been in bed with Babylon for a long time. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues that were going through Babylon, just like in Egypt, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons. Well, I don't know anybody that worships demons. There's people that worship demons in this room this week. Well, I don't feel like I did. Well, I, I don't care if you feel like it. You, you know, let, me, let me just say something about idol, idolatry here because it, we're, we're headed there. You know, people that worship idols don't actually worship the idol. We're so ignorant in Christianity to, to history and to spiritual reality. They're not actually like bowing down to a, a Buddha. They believe that that Buddha that they built with their hands and then did the spiritual things to invite the God of Buddha into that statue who now lives there is the God that they're worshiping. They're not worshiping the statue. They're worshiping the God that's in the statue that they invited to come. And if you think that that's weird, how in the world are you a Christian? Didn't you invite God to come and live in you? They literally do Christianity. They just do it warped. Every time we give our affection, every time that we give our time, every time we give um, those deep places of our life and our heart to something other than Christ, it is worship. You might not like that. You might get mad at me. Maybe you're not. You're going to send me a terrible email. Maybe you're not going to uh, give me your tithe check. I don't care about none of that. I'm telling you that this is about your heart, like Bob said. When you are giving your affection, your time, your energy, your money to something that's not Christ, it is worship. And many of those things are demons. Uh, uh, no, uh-uh, don't do that. That they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. We have a living God. They have dead gods. Next verse. And they did not repent of their murders, of their pharmacia, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Pharmacia. Drugs. You can, you can call them vaccines. You can call them therapeutics. You can call whatever cool world you want to put on it. This was one of the ways that the enemy got into the heart of mankind to control them. And if you're on it, I'm not condemning anybody in here. But it's in the same list as murder, sexual immorality, and thieving. 
Maybe God has a different opinion of some of those things in your medicine cabinet. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's working through those things. But I'm telling you that this is the Bible. I didn't write this. I didn't make it up. This is what the Bible says. You, you feel that quietness in the room? That's the reality that the Bible says something that we've all put our trust in. If you get really, really sick, you can go to the doctor. He'll give you a pill. That's only been about the last 100 years. Before that, if you got really, really sick, the doctor was out. Either that or he put a bunch of leeches on you hoping to suck the bad blood out. You, you, you know what happened? People had to trust God. What a, what, a, what a shocking development for humanity to just trust God with your body. The, the, the God that made the body, to just trust him with it. I'm in a church, y'all. This is a church. And you can feel the resistance to what I'm talking about. This is a church. And if you say you should trust God with your body, they will string me up for saying that preacher told people not to take medicine. Yep. And me and Dietrich Bonhoeffer will give each other a high five in heaven when they cut my head off. And if that's what gets me, I'm okay with that. I'm gonna trust God with my body. I'm gonna trust God with my marriage. I'm gonna trust God with my money. I'm gonna trust God with my emotions. I'm gonna trust God with every part of me. And I'm not gonna get sucked into their little games. The devaluation of human life, illustrated by abortion, at any stage, for any reason, that has now been declared a human right. What an oxymoronic statement. A human right to kill a human. It's like calling abortion health care. There ain't no care and there ain't no health. It is there to devalue human life. If you can devalue an innocent baby in a womb, the most valuable, it hadn't done nothing wrong yet. Like you struggle with your spouse because you know what they did last night. But that baby ain't done nothing. Nothing. It is as innocent as the wind-driven snow. And we can invade its sacred space and murder it because it's inconvenient? This is the world we live in. I'm not making none of this up, y'all know. But again, that quietness in the room is the fact that we'd rather just sing louder because this stuff will go away. Just sing louder, Pastor. Maybe they'll stop doing it. Right now in Canada, they're spending millions of dollars on marketing and advertisement to convince people who are depressed that they should be euthanized. Millions of taxpayers' dollars they are spending to convince Canadians that they are worthless 
and should just die. They have a program called MAID, M-A-I-D, that exists to put people to death. It's popular, it's legal. The devaluation of human life. Statistically, Christianity has been dying a slow death for quite some time. The one thing, the one thing to rescue a world trapped in darkness is the church, the ecclesia. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said that I will build my ecclesia and it will go against the gates of hell. The only thing that is warring against the gates of hell from swinging wide open and dumping everything that hell has on the human population is singularly the church. And people aren't here today. If there's one thing universally most Christians could gather together around a water cooler and complain about, it's church. If I walked up to my bride and I slapped her in the face, most of this room, at least the guys in this room, would probably jump me, rightfully so, and maybe give me back tenfold. But I could stand up here and I could slap the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ all day long and people will stand up and yell for me to, to preach it louder. Beat that wench. How dare her? Church, pastors, evil, organized religion. The one thing keeping darkness off this planet and the Christians will attack it. There's people in this room that's done it. This week, you've said terrible things about the church. You've said terrible things about ministers. You've said terrible things about what you disagree with other people doing. 1,500 pastors a month quit. A month. 1,500. You think it's bad now? Wait till that catches up. I have many friends, many pastor friends, who have two, three, and four charges to their pastorate. What that means is there are pastors that I know that have four churches that they go and minister at. So some of those churches can only meet every other week because they do two churches one week and two churches the next week. And they're paid terrible. Terrible. And... They have to take all the persecution for being a pastor in 2022 in America. I've had, I, you know how many people have told me if I should get a real job? I'm telling you. They're, they're on Facebook. I've, you, I've posted things on Facebook, and I've had people in Pearl City, in my own community, say, get a real job. Nobody needs you anyway. Who cares about having pastors around? It'd be, way, it'd be way more important if you went and flipped burgers. If you were flipping burgers, you would actually be a participating, beneficial part of society. But the fact that you're a pastor 
that you've seen the dead raised, that you've seen cancers healed, that you've helped people rescue their marriages, that you've, that you've gotten people into marriage covenants, that, you, that you've done all these things, you are worthless. Please go flip a burger at McDonald's or whatever they call it, because it ain't burger. There is the lowest church attendance ever in American history, ever. America is approximately 402 years old. We have never had lower church attendance than right now in American history. Congratulations, we get the trophy. Biblical illiteracy is rampant among believers. There was a time in American history that if you were agnostic, you knew the Bible better than 5% of this church, the upper 5% of this church. Some of our founding fathers who were agnostics and non-Christians but still believed that there was a God could quote more of the Bible than probably anybody in this place. And they weren't even Christians. But they believed that God was smarter than they were. We don't even have that today. You are not allowed to quote Bible. I got kicked out of a meeting one time for quoting the Bible. I could quote Shakespeare. I could quote Sigmund Freud. But I can't quote Jesus. This is perpetuated by deceived and offended people who have convinced their conscience that they can be Christian, which Christian means like Christ, little Christ. That they can be Christian without being committed to personal discipleship and a local church. Go, go interview five people at Walmart and say, hey, are you Christian? Yep. Do you go to church? Well, no. You don't need to go to church and be a Christian. Really? Christ did. Christ went to church. It was his normal thing to do to go to the synagogue and meet with God's people. Normal, regular run-of-the-mill day. Everywhere Paul went, the first place he stopped at was the church. Every letter in the New Testament was written to people in the church. And now we're so advanced in American Christianity that we don't need the church anymore because we can do it on our own. Bless your darling little heart. Without being committed to personal discipleship and a local church. That is the equivalent of someone saying that they're an American Indian because they rode a horse once and they cheer for the Washington Redskins. I came up with that myself. Because that's about, okay, stop it. It's about the same. I'm a Christian. Oh, really? What does that mean? Well, you know, I mean, I believe in God. And? Well, I, and I like him. And? Whoop-de-doo. You are not like Christ. Not, not for one second. 
This means that every part of your life reflects his likeness. In the beginning, God created us in his likeness. We were supposed to be his image bearers. If you're not bearing the image of Christ, if people don't see Christ in you, through you, the way you talk, the way you walk, not at church, not at church when you're fake, out there. If they don't see the image of Christ in you, you're not a Christian. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm not being mean to nobody. I'm not going to look at nobody. I'll look at YouTube because that's where all the fake Christians are. But if you're not bearing the image so much so that people say, man, surely, surely you have Christ in you, then maybe you're not bearing his image and you're not a Christian. Does that... Steve just, just stood up there and said, I'm going to hell. I didn't say you're going to hell. I said, you're not a Christian. You can be saved. God saves people all the time that don't deserve it. Did we not hear about that? Amen. He's worthy of it all. You were worthy of salvation. Not because you were so, so amazing and worth so much, but because God's salvation was worth so much that he gave you a value that you didn't know about, that you didn't have, he applied it to you, he perpetuated it to you, and then rescued you. But it's not about being saved. This is what the American church is about. Just save me. Give me the lottery of spirituality. Make the pain go away. Make the bad thoughts go away. Make my bad spouse go away. Make my bad boss go away. Jesus, make everything go away so then I can have the comfortable, self-centered, uh, the, the, the life of, of entertainment so I can play on my phone and just have endless... That's what I really want. Jesus didn't come to give you that. Sorry, that ain't on the slate. When Jesus bids a man to come to the kingdom, he bids him come and die. Yeah. And there's a bunch of us that ain't died. We just think we're going to put the Jesus cherry on top of our already amazing shortcake. Don't work that way. Jesus ain't your cherry. He's not your decoration. He's not your, he's not your beautiful cross that you wear around the neck. He ain't none of that stuff. He is the Lord of heaven, the, the, the mighty uh, Lord of the angel hosts. He is the one that created the heavens and the earth, and he came and died in our stead the death that we deserve. You don't take, get to give him a flippant, like, head nod, like you're walking down the street and you see him, like, hey, you're cool. Yeah, you're cool back. That ain't the Christ of heaven. Amen. When Jesus just turns his head in heaven, you can read about this in Revelation, everyone in heaven goes nuts. Jesus moved. And Jesus could come and move all around you and slap you upside the head and hit you with a Bible and kick you in the butt and you'd be like, is there something? Is, it feels different right now. I don't know what it is. There's a tingle. Back to the Bible. Isaiah 9. Verse 6, for a child has been born to us, a son has been given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. In the, in the NET it says that he shoulders 
responsibility. He has taken the responsibility of everything in all of history on his own shoulders. Talk about broad shoulders. And he is called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Not pansy God sitting in the back of your Sunday school petting a sheep with long hair and blue eyes looking like a Hollywood reject. Mighty God. So much so that in Orthodox Judaism they don't even say his name. You're not even allowed to utter his name. And we use it as a cuss word. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. This is what was in Mary's womb. This is the rescue of that gross darkness that Isaiah said the whole world was sitting in. God sent us this. He rescued us with a baby. Think about this for a second. God is so God that he can fix everything that tens of billions of people screwed up with all of the help of Satan and his demonic hosts. He can fix it with a baby. And you think he's got problems with your problems? You think what's going on in your life is going to be a handful for him? I believe that this Christmas season will be unlike any that we have experienced before in our generation. Our nation and our world are moving into the intersection of a spiritual crossroads where to the left is spiritual destruction. And to the right is the great awakening. The choice in this momentous time will need to be decided by each person. But heaven has offered us a divine opportunity reminiscent of what was revealed on that very first Christmas morning. Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. Why Galilee called Nazareth? Well, that's what the Bible said. It prophesied it. Here's another reason. It was nowhere. It was nowhere. It was like, I don't know, Midwestern Illinois. If you were God, like you'd send them to New York, right? In a 747, in a space shuttle with like strobe lights. God's here! Ain't the way God rolls. You have to recognize his value. He doesn't force you to see his value. He always moves subtly. And he came to a virgin, pledged in marriage to a man named Joseph, who was of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. If you have a Bible that doesn't use the word virgin, you might want to chunk it. Mary was a virgin. Mary was a 13-year-old virgin. 13. That 13-year-old virgin has a 
thousand times more character and virtue than most 30-year-old Christian women. The angel appeared to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. That term, you who are highly favored, is where this church's name came from. This term in the Greek was only used two times here. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, that said that you are accepted in the beloved. The term accepted in the beloved in the King James and this term right here, you who are highly favored, is the exact same term. You, beloved, have the exact same offer to you that Mary had. Will you accept Christ into your womb or not? Mary was greatly troubled at his words, just like most of the people in this church right now, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. You know, you don't find something you're not looking for. You know why many people in this room haven't found what they've been looking for? Because you ain't actually looking for it. You just want it, like a scratch-off ticket. If it shows up in your life, that'd be awesome. But actually go out there, do the work <laughs> to go and find it? Heck no, it'd just be easier just to work 40 years, let my body fall apart, get to pension, and then retire. And then life will get great in between doctor visits. God has a life for you, not slavery. That's slavery. Sorry, I got to be careful because people all the time come up to me and they get mad at me. So you're saying I'm working a job, so I'm a slave? What do you want me to say? You want me to make it feel better? You're, you're not. You're the one person that's not. All those other people. I was talking to the other ones. Does God have a problem with jobs? No. God literally gave Adam and Eve a job. But why? Ephesians said that the reason you're supposed to be working is so that you have to give. Oh, boy. I'm going to get right off my notes, and then all y'all are going to get angry. Or blankety-blank. <laughs> God never intended for humanity to survive from a job. They intended for you to be able to create wealth in that world so that you could bless people with your wealth. God intended to be your father and to provide for you. That was his intentions from the beginning. We've messed it up. You don't have to stay messed up. You can fix it. Christmas, time for choices. So what should I do, quit my job? Well, obviously not with that attitude. You better get another one, because you, you think your source is your job. Amen. You can be weird like me and be worthless to society and just preach the gospel. Behold, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Please note that God gave Mary permission to name his son. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign 
over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? That's a good question. Amen. God's not scared by your questions. What, the only thing that bothers him is when you give him attitude in your questions. All right, so you say, quit my job through that stupid preacher. What am I supposed to do then? Well, you are going to be broke. And you better call your grace group leader and we'll get you some food. But if you say, okay, Lord, I accept that fact that you are supposed to be my provider and I have been working for the man being my provider for X number of years. What do I do? He ain't scared by that question. <laughs> yeah, that ain't. Nobody likes that. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Anybody in here of the Holy Spirit? The same Holy Spirit that provided a solution to Mary's problem? Will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so... The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Look, even Elizabeth, your relative, <coughs> has conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is in her sixth month. She who was called, she who was called barren. What the world called her is not what God called her. <laughs> this is why you need to not pay attention to their opinion of you. Because if you believe their opinion, you'll be what they said you are. You believe God's opinion, you'll be exactly who God says you are. For no word from God will ever fail. <clears throat> that was not just true to the Virgin Mary that day on Christmas, on that pre-Christmas day. That is true for everyone in this room who's willing to do the hard thing and believe it. And oh, here we are in faith now. Can I just have some logic and some rationality? Okay, God said he won't fail you. Well, that's not very rational and logical. If God fails, there's no such thing as rational and logical. The earth ceases to exist. You better hope that that's rational and logical. And Mary's response, I am the Lord's servant. Oh, dear Jesus, how beneficial it would be for us to just respond as wisely as a 13-year-old girl. I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me according to your word. The angel left. This account was a discourse between heaven's plans delivered by a spiritual messenger and a 13-year-old girl's will. It was the offering of a divine choice. The entire Christmas story culminates into that word, choice. 
The word for Christmas is choice. What are you going to do with it? Will you be like Zachariah? Those of you that know the Christmas story. And argue with the plan of God? So much so that God's got to shut thy mouth. Some of you would be a blessing to have God shut thy mouth. Some of you are thinking it would be a blessing if I shut my mouth. <laughs> because we can't see how this is going to work. How's this going to work, God? Okay, just shh and watch. Will you be like Mary, who found grace? Remember, you don't find what you ain't looking for. If you ain't looking for that grace, you ain't finding it. If you don't believe me about Mary, go read Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 after the angel delivered these messages to her. Her song is about 18 verses long and quotes about 30 Old Testament verses. Mary, who wasn't allowed to go to the synagogue, knew the scriptures better than almost everybody in here. And she wasn't even allowed to read them. That's how much her heart was persuaded towards her God. And kept her life pure. Will we be like Mary who found grace and submitted to that irrational plan of God? And just trust him in humility? Will we be like Joseph? Who wrestled with and eventually resisted the real emotions associated with a pregnant fiancé. The pressures of societal and economic ruin and the inevitable persecution from every possible source. Consider Joseph in this story. Your 13-year-old fiancé ends up knocked up. And sure, it was God. Okay, Joseph, a little too much new wine. And he pushed through all that. And in that day, you get excommunicated, you got kicked out of the church in that day, you're done. You're done. Your entire society revolved around your participation in that synagogue way of life. And he stood with God and his knocked up fiance against all of the pressures that would make most of us fold. Will we be like the masses who just plodded along with their own self-focused lives, never even recognizing that God was literally changing everything in their midst for all time. You know, the neighbor of Jesus in Nazareth may have never known Jesus. One door over. One door over may have never, ever encountered Jesus. And how true is it today in most of our society that you're just one breath away, just one submitted humble heart away from an encounter with Jesus and people completely ignore God all day, every day, all week, all month because their lives are so much more better than having Jesus in it. Will we be wise like the foreign kings who followed the stars while forsaking everything to see and to worship 
this newborn hope of the ages. Some of you don't really consider this, but the, the Magi, it wasn't three, we three kings. It was multiple kings. They believed that that entourage was between three and 400 people. These kings left their foreign lands and traveled for over two years, two years, left their kingdoms, left royalty, traveled for two years so they could find a baby. And there are people across the street that won't leave TV. This is why they were wise. Will we be deceived and lash out in fear of personal loss like Herod? Herod was concerned about Jesus coming. He was so concerned, he killed an entire generation of boys. Herod believes more in the arrival of Jesus Christ than most Christians today. Because at least he did something about it. He killed a bunch of babies. We won't even kill our own personal demons to give Jesus permission to come and live in our womb. Herod killed babies. Satan believes more in Jesus than most Christians. Will we be like the young couple? 17 and 13 is what they believe Joseph and Mary were. Will we be like the young couple and protect our child from the oncoming cultural onslaught? While culture was trying to kill their son, they did everything they could to protect their son. Would to God American society would embrace that truth. Would to God. This Christmas we have a choice. Either take these offered treasures of heaven and store them up in our heart or carry on like we always have. Make a good choice. You may only have one choice. One more quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. God forbid I ever preach cheap grace in this church. And God forbid you ever get sucked into accepting cheap grace in your own life. Romans 8 says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we 
are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You don't get the glorify without the suffer. This Christmas, we are offered the great gift of choice. Will we accept the message from heaven, receive our personal grace, treasure up the truth in our heart, and allow it to propel us into an unexpected, irrational, but yet supernatural great awakening, or not? Is a personal choice for you. This can be Christmas, and you can check the box. That's right, I'm the cool person. I went to church on Christmas. Check. Call me good. Did you let the gift of Christmas enter your heart so much so that today you are making different choices than when you walked in here? And for some of you, that might be actually humbling yourself and recognizing the fact that Jesus hasn't really been that important to you ever. For some of you, it might be sections of your heart that you have kept at arm's length from the kingdom because you just don't want to give up those things. For some of you, it could just be an adjustment where you've allowed this world, society, culture, or even your own attitude teach you that you don't need to be that passionate and radical about the things of God because you know what happens to those weirdos. Maybe you've just been convincing yourself, just sing louder and the train will go away. Just sing louder. Sing louder, nobody will know, the train will go away. But now that you've seen it, the train has stopped, it's screeched to a halt outside and it's thrown some bodies overboard, what are you going to do? Go out and rescue someone or sing louder. So I'd like to bless you, but while I'm going to bless you, we have some altar ministers that are coming up here that are going to be willing to pray with you to minister to you wherever you're at. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.